Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. Welcome back to the Healthcare Happy Hour. This is the second part of a conversation with NAHU Legislative Council Vice Chair Mark Gagne about NAHU's first ever virtual capital conference. In part one, we discussed what attendees heard from the keynote speakers, members of Congress, Jeff Grant from CMS and Sasayo, and finally, Avik Roy from the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity. This week, we're talking about what attendees heard from NAHU's coalition partners and the fabulous breakout sessions that attendees were able to engage with. As a reminder, if you registered for Capital Conference, you can still watch the sessions on demand until May 23rd. We discussed the American Rescue Plan Act on last week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, so be sure to check that out if you have any questions. In addition, we had a member-exclusive Compliance Corner webinar this week, reviewing provisions relevant to you and your clients. You can find that on NAHU.org. So as we mentioned earlier, Throughout the conference, we also heard from the leaders of two key coalitions that NAHU is a part of, the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future and the Partnership for Employer-Sponsored Coverage, with Lauren Crawford Schaefer and Christine Pollack, respectively. What did you guys think of those sessions? I think that they brought kind of what Avik Roy set up for them. No accident that they spoke after him the next day to follow up on that message. And they are bringing their coalitions that we work with that bring those solutions to head towards universal coverage without going down the path of a single payer of a Medicare for all. So Lauren Crawford Shaver is with the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future. They are a coalition that is very active against Medicare for all and also focusing on the public option now as that's become more and more popular of a conversation, not just on the federal level, but on the state level as well. So if you are some of the the handful of states that are seeing this threat of a public option rising up, please let us know at NEHU and we can get you in contact with the coalition that's active in your state. That's a part of that partnership that we belong in here on the national level. And then Christine Pollack from the Partnership for employer-sponsored coverage is using the platform of not focusing just on advocating against single-payer or Medicare for all as a whole, but instead looking at ways to sustain and improve the employer-sponsored market. So they look at things like one of our talking points about trying to ease up the requirements on employer reporting. So it will be easier for employers to be able to continue to offer coverage. So those are ways that those two speakers kind of followed Avik Roy to be able to explain in in a little bit more detail exactly what those coalitions do and how NEHU is a part of them to be able to move towards a universal healthcare where everyone has access. That's just what that means in universal healthcare. Everyone has access to healthcare, not that everyone has it, and ways to do that through the work of those two partnerships. Yeah, yeah, I think what I really liked about their commentary just to dovetail what you said was we we talked with Avic about 
the principle of transparency, the principles of how do we make the free market work more favorably for employers and consumers, and then followed with those discussions, which are actually bodies that can actually make this happen, right? They're, they're in the market. They're in the application area of what we're talking about, right? So we, we really go from AVIC's message of principles and values and what the real problem is, right? Ultimately to how do we take that and apply that to the market? And so I, I think the flow of that information made it easy for our members to digest and to wrap their minds around to say, okay, I, I really agree with, with, with what AVIC's saying. How do I take it and do something with it? And then we provided resources to our members to actually, we'll work with these coalitions, work with them because they have, uh, they're reaching the people that you need to reach. And frankly, it's good for your business to do that, right? To be involved in those type of things, not only on a federal level, uh, but a local and a regional level too. And Mark, that's a great point. And I will say this for our involvement in the two coalitions and the ways that you can show the value that you have as an NEHG member and our part as members with those partnerships. Oftentimes with both of them, our biggest value that we bring to the table within those coalitions is our ability to mobilize our grassroots efforts with our members through our Operation Shout system. So every time you get one of those emails from Operation Shout asking you to contact your member of Congress on a different issue, you're able to share those and forward those on to your client list. And they get an email similar to yours where they can alter the, the intro to say, you know, that they're not an agent or broker, but they're an employer with X amount of employees and they're writing in, they just put their zip code in and it connects them with their member of Congress. And what this does is it amplifies our voice on the Hill. It increases the number of messages that are received. And we are one of the few groups in both of those coalitions that can really bring in messages in the tens of thousands when it comes to mobilizing our Operation Shout base. And so I just want to emphasize how important it is when you get those emails to number one, open them and then fill them out, not just for yourself, but also forward it onto your clients. This helps us um, leverage our position within these coalitions immensely. And then it also helps us on the Hill so we can go in and the way that our technology works, we can go in and say, hi, Senator Collins, we know that you received 6,000 messages from constituents in Maine. And this is where we stand on this bill. And we're, we're able to track that and to really make a difference. So I would say, I mean, along those lines, uh, we talk about packaging content. Now that we know we have a rock star amongst us and, and Dan Parker, our NEHU webmaster, I'm going to let the membership know that we will be packaging some of this content to share the value of membership, but we're not going to give the content away. The reality is that that's a value for being a member of NEHU. Uh, that's a value for going to Capitol Conference and paying the fee and spending the time. But we know that we need to bring back members who've left us. And we know we want to attract members who've never even heard of us before. And so we're going to package a lot of this content. And Dan, if you could just speak about some of the things we might be doing, you know, from a thematic standpoint, we know we want to share some of this content so that our chapters can actually use it to, if people are thinking about leaving the association, don't do that. If you left because you didn't perceive value, come back, right? If you never heard of us before, hey, wow, look at the stuff these guys are doing. And they're doing the same things they've always done, but they're going about it in a different way. So Dan, maybe you can speak about some of your thoughts there. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, NHU is 
one of the smaller associations out there, but that doesn't mean we don't have an immense amount of outreach and influence. Of course, it's clear from what we talked about today and from what all CapCon attendees saw during their general session and breakout sessions, which we'll get to shortly, that we have immense influence in the political and regulatory process. But beyond that, we also have fantastic professional development tools. We're more than just a political advocacy association. We're also a professional development association. And we want to make sure that not only are health insurance agents and brokers or health insurance professionals advocated for at the state and federal levels, but we also have plenty to offer in terms of tools for professional development. Glad you raised that because at the end of the day, when I look at it as a broker, the value of membership is the most important thing is the relationships all over the place. The very close second is for me is the, the opportunity to learn things that I may not otherwise be exposed to or to share things that I've learned that other people can benefit from because that's what makes our community so great, right? To do that. So, and then you look at the advocacy piece, which is always going to be the center part of who we are. That's why our association exists is to help educate our representatives and to uh, influence the way they think in a positive direction, influence the things that we would like them to think about relative to what our clients, our customers, right? The members of, of the products and services that we sell, what their experience is like. And as long as we always come at it from that point of view, we're always going to make a difference. So I, I'm glad you raised, Dan, the professional development aspect of this, because that's the real value, I think, for most brokers and agents is where can I go and get training? Where can I go and get professional development? It's not just about getting a CE. And while that's important to maintain our license, it doesn't help me in my business. Now, when I say it doesn't help me, somebody who produces CE may be like, well, what do you mean? You can learn things through CE. You can. So I'm not, I'm not denigrating that. In fact, I, I learned things that way too. My point is, it's not always about getting continuing education credit. It's about, can I learn things, be introduced to things I can employ in my business and for the benefit of my clients? And for those that registered for Capital Conference, you are able to access the recordings of main stage speakers, as well as all of the breakout sessions. And the breakout sessions are all eligible for REBC credits. So if you're working on that certification, this is a great way to do it, to not just do credits for credit's sake, but to be able to go in and really learn something that is useful to you and your business and be able to get credit for it. So you have 90 days to go back into your V conference and log in, view those in the on-demand section. So speaking of the breakout sessions, let's talk about them now. This year, we offered five tracks for attendees to view, quality and price, innovation and creativity, market changes, Medicare, and transparency in action. So let's briefly go through each track and discuss what they had to offer. So in the quality of price, one of the first sessions we had was from Legislative Council Chair Scott Wham about the social determinants of health and why we should care. What did you guys think about that session? This is something that Scott Wham is very passionate about. He spoke about it last year when he was chairing Capitol Conference, and we really wanted to do a deeper dive. We've started to have requests from the Hill about what we're doing on social determinants of health. And we're also starting to get some coalition partners that are asking us to participate in some groups here in DC. So we felt like it was really important to provide more information on this issue to our members. And then it also segued into Representative Blunt Rochester, who talked about this in her remarks as well. Then we had 
Danielle Capilla and Josh Gertz from our Compliance Corner Committee to talk about hot topics in compliance for 2021. So there's so many different things with compliance going on right now, especially because of COVID-19. So this breakout took a look at that provision that was in the December end of year bill that allowed for FSA rollovers for 2020 to 2021. It also looked at employers and what they can do and whether they can require employees to be vaccinated before returning and what some of the other liabilities will be on employers as folks start to return. They also touched on a few things that we're still waiting for, those EEOC wellness rules that were released and then taken back. We've only been waiting about eight years for them, so of course we couldn't get them out, but hopefully some members of Congress will see Dr. Chopra's presentation on wellness as well, and we'll get some of those aspects included when the EEOC finally releases their rules. Better late than never. The third and final session in the quality and price track was controlling the cost of prescription drugs with John O'Brien, former HHS employee and quote-unquote drug czar for the Trump administration, where he talked about controlling the cost of prescription drugs with certain policies that HHS has finalized recently, including the rebate rule, policy in regard to 340B life-saving medications, and the most favored nation's pricing in Medicare Part B. The next track we had was innovation and creativity, which included another three sessions. One, including Compliance Now Live, the Compliance Now blog live, powered by MCQ Consulting, featuring Jennifer Berman, Jessica Waltman, and Marcy. Yes. So once again, here with the compliance, we took in questions leading up to the breakout session. So many of you sent your questions to compliance now at nehu.org. And we covered different conversations on, once again, COVID has been a big piece about the timeframe with providing plan documents via COVID relief, some premium rebate questions that circled around this. We also discussed some changes that have come out in the CAA. That was that end of your bill around mental health parity requirements that are, are currently in place. And then we also talked about some of the pieces that aren't in place yet, like the broker transparency and surprise billing, where we're working to coordinate with the administration as they are drafting the rules on that. So those aren't in place yet. And then also looking at how to use your tax refund under the FFCRA, that COVID relief piece. So a lot that kind of circles around the more relevant topics that have been just really confusing when it comes to how to comply with your employees during the pandemic. Of course, one of the very important breakout sessions we had during the conference this year was the State Public Option Roundtable. We talked about earlier when referring to the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future, how important it is to fight these public option proposals at the state level. Can you talk about this breakout session? Sure. This focused Keith Wallace from Washington State, Mike Wojcik from Illinois, Brad Niederman from Colorado, and Michelle Thornton was the moderator. She's from New York and Illinois, technically. And they went through some of the proposals and some of what has already been instilled. So Washington State is in the midst of instilling their public option, which is also being kind of rolled in. So it's not full public option yet, but is being phased in. Illinois is, has just finalized their study on how to move forward with a public option. And then Colorado has been fluctuating between proposals that have gone forward in, in their state legislature. So this was a great way to 
learn and hear from our members that have been advocating on the front lines with their state legislatures exactly how, well, not exactly, because it's very different. Every year it's different in each state, but how they are moving along in the different phases that they're in. Colorado has combated public option and a single payer system within their state and has been successful year after year after year. So a great perspective from them, as well as, like I mentioned, hearing from Washington where it's already been put in place. And then from Illinois, that's kind of at the starting blocks. So you could get a feeling of, of how or when you could see this possibly in your states. And of course, if you do, please reach out to us so we can coordinate with your state chapter and the state part of the Coalition for the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future. And as I mentioned, this is never going away. I said that during Capitol Conference, and I'm going to say it again. This um, challenge we're facing of thinking that a government-sponsored or run health care plan, it's just never going to leave our focus. It can't. But the good news is we've been working with our members and working with policymakers in each state. Colorado uh, comes to mind. California comes to mind. There are a number of jurisdictions we've already worked in with local membership representation to actually help our policymakers understand that it's not affordable and it doesn't solve the problem that they're all trying to solve. So to the extent that we can continue to have members step forward, like the ones you referenced, and collaborate with us to not recreate the things we've already created in other markets, other states that we could use. You're not starting at ground zero. It won't be exactly what somebody needs in their state. But it's always easier to react and shape something than it is to actually create something out of nothing. So to the extent we can all do that together and really pay attention to this, Marcy, if there's something I think I'm most concerned about going forward is these continual states that pop up with these new ideas, which are really not all that new. Uh, They're just trying to find creative ways to put forward this type of structure, which we all know will not serve the people the way it's being marketed as such. Many of you also probably remember Vermont, which is a great example of a state that passed this, put it in place, and then found that it was just too expensive to be able to move forward with. I often call it kind of like the dog that finally caught the car and didn't know what to do with it. And so that's also a great example, but we want to make sure that we're continuing to have these conversations on a state level. Moving on to the next track and still in the area of public option proposals, In the market changes track, NAHU CEO Janet Troutwine talked about the many faces of a public option, primarily focusing on the federal level public option proposals, of which there are many. Janet did a great job of going through each version of a public option. She went through each major bill that is out there right now, from Medicare buy-in to Medicare Part X, however they're calling it. This is a great teaser for the single payer certification course. It's about three hours and Janet leads it. She does a wonderful job and it will give you everything you ever wanted to know about what other countries are doing when it comes to socialized medicine. And then also what the U.S. is doing with the different proposals that we've seen coming through Congress. The next track was presented by Paul Roberts from Ward and Brown General Agency about innovations in the employer market. Paul Roberts joined us from Ward and Brown. He was a great addition to the lineup to focus specifically on employer issues. I know it feels like some of these other ones focused on that, but here he was able to look at some of the hot trends, not just on what we're seeing from the pandemic, but some of the other pieces to try to make sure that we're bolstering up employer-sponsored coverage while trying to work on some of these other issues that we'll talk about in other breakout sessions. 
The final session in that track was from Katie Spangler, principal for the Coalition Against Surprise Medical Billing, where she talked about the implementation of the No Surprises Act, the surprise billing ban that passed at the end of 2020. Surprise billing was not a huge part of our conference this year as opposed to previous years because that bill passed before the conference. Now it is up to the regulatory agencies to decide how exactly that law is implemented, and Katie did a great job of reviewing that. The next track is the Medicare track. The first session in the Medicare track was presented by Dan Mangus, who is a member of the NHU Medicare FMO Council and our Speaker Bureau. And he talked about the ways agencies are adapting after 2020, which has obviously been a game-changing year. Speaking of that, the second session in the Medicare track was in regards to how the pandemic has changed healthcare, specifically how it increased access to telehealth services, which we also talked about throughout the conference as being very crucial for both the Medicare population and also those in rural areas. That session was brought to you by Dwayne McFerrin, Mike Smith, and representatives from Humana. Then we had a session on the future of Medicare under the Biden administration, and that was presented by the Vice President of Congressional Affairs, John Green, and Jonathan Jones from PAC Madigan Jones. PAC Madigan Jones is one of our outside lobbying arms and assists us in being able to make sure that we are getting in front of the people on the Hill that we need to be speaking with and also help us to further promote our advocacy efforts with the administration. They have the keys to the doors we want to go in. And last but not least in the Medicare track, we had a session on long-term care and the future of long-term care with NAHU member Steve Kane, along with Mark Cohen and John Green once again. If you're interested in the long-term care developments, please go and watch that session. Finally, we have our transparency and action track, starting with restoring the doctor-patient relationship through a transparent membership model. Mark, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. We heard a session from uh, Dr. Jeff Gold, who's a personal friend of mine, but also a well-respected colleague who left the corporate practice of medicine. He's a traditionally trained primary care physician, uh, worked for a big hospital system up here in Boston and was the first physician to leave the corporate practice of medicine to jump into this field called direct primary care or DPC. It essentially is a membership-based model as opposed to working with insurance and discounted fee for service. Jeff and other people like him charge a membership fee and then take care of your health for almost everything with, with, with the exception of specialty care, which he has access to, but essentially to bring back the whole notion of the doctor-patient relationship. What you'll walk away from in that session is a deeper understanding of the differences between a traditional primary care physician, a concierge primary care physician, and a direct primary care physician, and then more specifically, how those individuals can help you with your health and help your clients, their help as well. And our NEHU quality and price working group just finished up an infographic that goes over the differences of those different practice areas. So you can locate that on the website under the infographics, and it's also available on the NEHU app. Our next session under the transparency umbrella was insightful data analytics delivered through a critical lens and white coat authority with Dr. Scott Connard. Yeah, Dr. Connard is someone we actually partner with and we brought him forward for this year's capital conference to introduce you to another direct primary care physician. But this time 
a primary care physician who loves to leverage technology to give him an inside look at an employer's performance relative to their employees that they're covering and their family members on their plan. What he's developed is a sophisticated algorithm that works with a data analytics engine that allows him to look into not just the uh, financial data of a particular population, but to look at the clinical data of that population and not only report on retrospectively what's happened with that group in the, in the way of healthcare claims experience, but prospectively looking at what's going to come if an employer doesn't put in certain programs and events and strategies in place in order for their employees' health to improve. Last but not least, in our breakout sessions under transparency, we had digital risk assessment for fully insured groups by Peter Borens. Peter is a healthcare technology. He really specializes in the deployment of technology to help with healthcare transparency. He and his sister, Dr. Stacy Borens, founded a company called Advanced Medical Strategies. Advanced Medical Strategies is more commonly known uh, nationally for working with most of the stop loss or reinsurance carriers in the country. They do a lot of large claim forensic review. So when you're working with a stop loss policy, you're able to accurately quantify the risk that may be exposed to a reinsurer, which helps you get the best premium deal you can for, for your self-insured clients. Peter has now developed, again, taking a problem we all looked at, which is we know in the under 100 market in particular, and that 51 to 99 market, we don't get, most markets do not release claims experience. And as a result of that, you don't have a medical loss ratio to look at to determine the health of the group. You don't have large claim data to look at the large claim exposures that exist. And so it makes it very difficult to underwrite with any level of precision what that risk would be for that group. Well, AMS has created a, a digital tool because they have access to all kinds of databases around the country to actually help you underwrite your groups that you don't have claim experience on to give you a level of forensics that you would otherwise not enjoy. So that when you talk to your client about being partially self-insured, first you can say you're a candidate to be self-insured, or you can say you're not a candidate to be self-insured, but to give that client a level of advice and insight that they otherwise would not have. It is now time for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. What are we toasting to this week? So in this week's toast for our podcast happy hour, a special, special toast out to our HUPAC champions, Bill, Terry, and Nathan, who smashed our previous HUPAC record. Our previous high water mark was $119,000. Our water mark set this year at our first virtual CapCon was $175,000. That is not just beating a goal. As I said, that's smashing a goal. Thank you to every member who donated to the PAC. Thank you for the leadership that those three individuals displayed to actually make that result possible. And just thank you for understanding that your contributions go to helping us open doors we otherwise wouldn't be able to open to influence policy we're all really, really passionate about. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.